uh, full time on the campaign. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's awesome. So, what was where did you start off really on? A, uh, sorry, uh, your TV stuff. So let's start off there. You talk about Coach Go and all that type yep. of stuff. Where whereabouts was that? Uh, like, how'd you get into it? Well, from a very young age, I always loved film. I just I was a cinephile, kind of like Quentin Tarantino. He kind of grew up in a video store, was a video clerk, and then mm-hmm. eventually wound up becoming one of Hollywood's greatest filmmakers. Yep. I kind of had this workaround to get rated R films where I would go to the public library and I would be able to get classics like Godfather, Patton, Apocalypse Now, all of these great films that you just couldn't get at a Rogers Video or a Blockbuster yeah, at sure. the time. I'm not aging myself, hopefully, when I say that. You remember Blockbuster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not too long ago. Not too long ago. Not too long ago. Rest in peace. But what I was able to do was get a taste for really rich cinema, just the greatest stories. The the 70s, American cinema in the 70s was just at its apex. It was just the absolute best. You could not find films uh, like the aforementioned that I just said uh, in Hollywood today. And it's pretty much MCU, Pixar, and Star Wars, you know, was the driving force behind Hollywood. Over, yeah, yeah really, the occasional pop-up, which is really, really nice to see. But And isn't that the best when you have just a small film, even if it's just people talking, mm-hmm. you know, that really just... You know, it was a great example of that, that film, The Founder, with Michael Keaton, yeah. where he played Roy Kroc, yeah, yeah, who yeah, kind of stole film, McDonald's yeah. from stole the... McDonald's yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. That was a great film, and it was just this little uh, independent movie, I saw a trailer for it, I, got, I thought that looks interesting, and yeah, I went out to see it, and it was great, and there's nothing wrong with MCU movies, I loved Endgame, we talked about it a lot yeah, yeah. at the time, you know, when, when we uh, when we first met, and, uh, but I need, you know, we, we want a little more than, uh, you know, just spandex, you, right, yeah, and capes. You definitely want a little bit more, and difference from just seeing the same kind of superheroes up on the screen all the time, and kind of taking, little actually taking over the box office because there's yeah. nothing else right now. It's, it's Disney, Spider-Man. really. Yeah. What it is is, it was Francis Ford Coppola, one of the greatest filmmakers of our time, who directed Godfather 1, 2, yeah. Apocalypse Now, The Conversation, and he was the one that said, we probably haven't even reached 40% of what's possible in cinema. Yeah. Think of that. That's incredible. And That's we crazy. only just came into the advent of you know 3D filmmaking with Avatar and that sort of thing around 2009. Oh, you know, It's only yeah, been 10 yeah. years, right? So... That's an incredible statement, but yet Hollywood is kind of creatively bankrupt. They just do the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. and over again, and it's because they're afraid to take risks. It's not so much about the artistry behind it, it's about making a profit, and they know these things will guarantee returns. I mean, look at the numbers. Endgame became the second highest film of all time, not adjusted for inflation. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It didn't surpass Avatar. They tried to have that last kick at the can with that with one last piece. weekend only yeah, thing. Yeah. Didn't quite work. So James Cameron, Canadian, still king of the hill. Yeah, take it, yeah, the number Titanic one and the number three spot with Titanic. So it's pretty good. It's pretty good. representing yeah. Canada. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It, you see it a lot now that there's so many Canadians that are out there just kind of yeah. doing their thing and not only in Hollywood but in like yeah. just on the global spectrum. Like yeah. Every, Canada's sticking out and they're doing real yeah. well, which is great to see. Yeah, absolutely. When I was in college, there was a big Canadian movement with a lot of great music. There was Broken Social Scene, uh, Dallas Green, a lot of bands like that that were really uh, yeah. just starting to break out into the music scene. And uh, I don't know, what's big right now that's Canadian? 
Uh, there's a whole bunch. Daniel Caesar's one of them. He's mm-hmm. just one of like kind of like an R and B kind of guy. Yeah. He's like everybody loves him. He's yeah. like kind of a more relaxed kind of guy. Yeah. And then there's a couple other ones. There's Bieber, obviously, but uh-huh. like he yeah. he's kind of done his own thing. He's sort of Michael Jackson status, bigger than big. Yeah. You know, can't really go anywhere in the public. That's, That's yeah, it's true. And then there's also yeah. like there's just actors as well. Like Ryan yeah. Reynolds, kind of, of like, course, yeah, just got picked up with Deadpool and all those yeah. other movies now. So yeah, Ryan Gosling from Burlington. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's tons. It's I don't know all of them. Like I don't have a list or anything like that. But yeah. there's a whole bunch of Canadians that are in it doing yeah. it just even now, which is really cool. I have to say, speaking of Ryan Gosling, that man can pick his scripts. He has. He must have a great agent because a few of the films he was in will probably wind up being in my top ten favorite films of the decade. That being The Big Short. That was that's one of those films where I'd say that's must viewing. If you want to find out how crony capitalism just destroyed. American created the yeah. 2008 stock market crash. That's the film to watch. And also he was in Drive, which was this kind of experimental film with a great kind of electronica soundtrack. Did you see Drive? Yeah, yeah. Drive was fantastic. Those two uh, films in particular would be in my top 10. The only film that's left coming out this year that could potentially make my top 10 of the decade, this being the last year of the decade, would be maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new yeah. Tarantino. But what I just heard, because you know how uh, Quentin Tarantino said that's going to be like his last movie? Yeah. He said that they're the No, only... 10. He's going to 10. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the last movie that he said he'd make would be the R-rated Star Trek. Interesting. Which would be... That's kind of a waste, in my that, opinion. Uh, it might be, but it like... Yeah. The way... Because Star Trek's mm-hmm. got a pretty cool cast, and it's just kind of mm-hmm. like crazy and open and all that mm-hmm. stuff. That's the more realistic version of like sci-fi and type of mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Where like Star Wars is the super like fantasy kind of thing. Star Wars is fantasy. Uh, science fiction is... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Star Trek is truly science fiction, because yeah. science fiction is really about ideas. Yeah. Uh, versus... Star Wars is just a swashbuckler in yeah, space. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it, it'd be kind of cool just to see how Quentin Tarantino can make... Maybe like his... It could be his, interesting. Because you never really know... can. Because he's always been to, oh, i got to make my own thing. I'm never really in a franchise. But if he tries yeah. one thing in a franchise and it just yeah. takes off, yeah. I'd be, I'm would be i kind of curious to see how that would play it's out. It's possible. At one point, he wanted to make a Bond film. He wanted to keep Pierce Bronson And he wanted cool. to cast Uma Thurman, naturally, as the Bond yeah. girl. Yeah, that so, would have been pretty cool. Would have been interesting, but then we wouldn't have had Casino Royale. And I that wouldn't was, want that. That was legendary it's, movies. Yeah, it's one of the best in the Bond franchise, yeah, for sure. for sure. And, but the, the new ones are actually really good, too. Like Skyfall and all those ones. And I'm yeah. waiting for the newer one to yeah. come out. And yeah. then... It's, yeah. yeah, and there's also it's even just kind of a spiral of like spy movies like uh, yeah. Kingsman and all that stuff. Those yep. are also really good movies. Mm-hmm. But let's get away from movies for a bit. Let's talk about where that love for film that we just rambled on about for mm-hmm. a couple minutes is. Where did that really take you? Because you went into film. Like, yeah, you where could, did you you go could see that? the passion based on the exactly, way I talk. Exactly, the list. So what it was was I was able to rent some of the all-time greats at the library and I just developed this taste for cinema and I started playing around with a camcorder and it's so much easier now. People have 4K on their phones. Yeah, my phone has You can buy a little Merlin Steadicam for nothing and just have great production value. At the time, I was probably shooting on a cheap Panasonic SVHS camera, but what it did was, through the mistakes you made in the beginning, you'd learn to get better each time, better composition, better timing with your edits, uh, better use of music, uh, uh, working with people who were better at handling dialogue. It's always your friends in the beginning, right? But then you actually would learn to branch out and you actually, you know. I can even see that doing this. Oh, yeah, yeah. My first one, the audio, I don't know what happened with it. The mic was fine, Mm -hmm. but it was just the way it was hooked up. And I I think it was just because I was using like voice memos instead of like, 
what uh, the software I'm using now. And it's just like, it just sounded muffled the mm -hmm. entire time. Mm -hmm. And then over the time, it's been catching up and catching up. And yeah. like earlier, I'd have glitches where the camera would completely die halfway oh. through. Or it was like, I didn't realize that the clips, once it hits plus 45 minutes, yeah. that it'll short out or yeah. something like that. So I, that, there's kind of like different things that play along. And you can yeah. see with you that yeah. there was just like, there's the passion that was going yeah. overriding, wanting you to get better and better and better. That's the most important thing. Friends, yeah. That's the most important thing. Perhaps it's a sign of good luck. Uh, there's the famous story where nothing worked at uh, Disneyland when it first opened, right? And look at it now. It's yeah. just this multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. yeah. Owning just, Marvel, all those. Every They own my childhood. Yeah, they own the Muppets. They own, they too, own yeah. Lucasfilm. <laughs> they, they own Marvel. Yeah, they. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not for that because I think it stifles creativity but going back to what we were talking about I wound up taking a lot of media arts classes in high school as well as communications technology and my teacher uh, Mr. Lucy Wayne Lucy I'm gonna name drop him he was <laughs> so terrific and uh, we would often have students that would win gold medals at the Halton Skills competition for film uh, a lot of thing on things under the arts graphic design and uh, through that, I was able to use that um, to put towards my portfolio uh, as well as my grades. It's important. Anyone who wants to get into that, have a good English grade. Very mm -hmm. important. Yep. Writer's craft. And I was able to get into college and uh, I was accepted to um, a few places, but I wound up picking Niagara College because they were willing to pay for your film stock. Mm -hmm. And for me, well, that that's... was huge. You know, I can actually say that I was a filmmaker. I have worked with 16 millimeter film. I've worked with 35 mm -hmm. millimeter. And uh, there's really nothing quite like it, the intimacy of actually being able to process the film and handle it and that. And they were willing to pay for that. And it could be very expensive. Yeah, for sure. So, and it was worth it. Uh, my thesis film and final year, I wound up getting to shoot in New York City, in California. It was a comic book documentary. Yeah. Uh, I met some great people and artists including Tim Sale who did all the artwork for the old TV show Heroes and some of the most famous uh, graphic novels uh, Batman graphic novels like The Long Halloween uh, when you watch Batman Begins all these names like Carmine Falcone and that that comes yeah. from Tim they take them yeah, from the they take them from that story that's yeah that's really cool exactly so he, he was he was it was just an awesome experience uh, and then really I, I never really had any time to kick back after I graduated. I started my first professional gig uh, a few months before I graduated college. Yeah. Was it and like a co-op kind of thing where they just kind of put you in it and then it turned into No, a job what it was or? was somebody was looking for an editor for an it was like an entertainment tonight type of uh, kind of deal, yeah. Shoot, yeah. And uh, what it was was uh, uh, an actor who was uh, in the film uh, 88 minutes with Al Pacino and it mm -hmm. was just an interview with him talking about working with Pacino and and that kind of thing and I pieced it together and they were really happy with it and through that I was able to just keep working I moved to Toronto where you have to be if you want to start off in film and that yeah. and then uh, really to make a long story short I was uh, given an offer to go work on uh, OHL sports uh, out in Sarnia Ontario this is where great players like Steven Stamkos yeah. Nelly Akapov Alex Galchenia came from and uh, really, it was just uh, the insanity of the hours working in film. You know, a 12-hour day is probably a minimum Yeah. in, in film. It could be often 14, 16 hours, you know, bad turnaround time between one day to the next. And just the thought of having a, a 9 to 5 was just so appealing to me. And really? uh, so I took that and I, and I cut my teeth, you know, in television uh, doing OHL sports in the mm -hmm. beginning. From there, I got to do more political things, work on shows like Queen's Park Report with the MPP there, Bob Bailey. 
uh, covered uh, federal and provincial election uh, while I was there. Uh, so what were you doing experience. during those time? Like, what were you the camera guy? Were you editing? No, I was. Uh, I was the head producer. So OHL hockey, for example, I was the mobile producer. So I would be the one at the switcher, calling all the shots, throwing up all the graphics, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Working with my uh, team of camera, audio, um, the, um, the talent. And uh, it was good. The Sarnia Sting were not the greatest team when I was there. We were only in one. Uh, we only had one playoff run during yep. my tenure there, and they were were swept in the first round, if I remember correctly. Well, that's the way it goes. Can't win yeah, them all. Exactly. But uh, but at the same time, I got to uh, the schedule uh, wound wound down significantly mm-hmm. after hockey, and in the summertime, you're able to basically create your own original content, which coming from a film background was that's all you could ask for they gave you great creative latitude to just do whatever as long as the boss approved it you could do it and he would say give me six episodes of whatever or give me one long television special yeah of whatever so uh the sting not making the playoffs probably freed me up to do projects like the chris hadfield biography because if they were very successful let's say like the windsor spitfires the producers there were going all the way until june Right, and then their yeah, summer sure. turnaround would only you'd be very short, and then September you're right back at it again. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's so much stuff. To, like that's just all that in that short amount of time. There's yeah. so much experience packed into just that, and it's all kind of fueled by passion. You can tell because you're like yeah. you're so into what you're talking about, and yeah. I know that definitely translates to the stuff you're trying to do now, what yeah. you're going to be doing in the future. So yeah. if we want to get into what you're doing now, we. We, we can? We can. I wanted to talk about the Chris Hatfield project quickly, though. Uh, that was probably creatively the most fulfilling thing I ever worked on. Chris Hatfield was such a gentleman. I interviewed him out at his cottage on Stag Island, and he picked me up on, on his boat. It's yeah. a private island, so you have to raise a flag. He came and picked me up on his boat and helped helped me and my team carry our gear and everything. It was yeah, just, that's know, awesome. Just, just the, the ultimate gentleman. And I remember him driving... Uh, me and my crew in the boat and thinking if ever I could trust anybody behind the wheel it's this guy yeah this guy could drive rocket ships you know (laughs) he's the first Canadian to walk in space yeah for sure so it was just a terrific experience and I wound up winning an award for that documentary and also this this was kind of one of those where you had to pinch yourself or it was almost too good to be true so I uh, was married to my wife at that time we were on our honeymoon in Italy, found out that we won the award. I wasn't able to attend because yeah. I was on my honeymoon. Found out we won while I'm in Rome. Yeah. And then get an email from Chris Hadfield from outer space, yeah. from the International Space no Station. Way. That's so saying cool. congratulations. That's so cool. <laughs> and congratulations on our, our marriage too. And we made sure to take that and put that in our wedding album that's so sick yeah it was one of those moments where this is almost too good to be true i i was just so such a blessed moment in my life that's, it was incredible even even just hearing that that's just a, that's an insane moment because you had someone yeah. in space in space yeah sends you an email so i remember forwarding that to my parents you. going this is coming from outer space from me to you and my parents are <laughs> just flipping out yeah that's insane <laughs> that's one of those crazy moments that you yeah. have and you're just like this yeah this didn't happen no way. yeah that's really really cool yeah yeah, so I, I'm I'm more eager to see what you're what you're doing because we never really talked about it. You gave me the heads up that you're you're running, and I, I never really got to go deep into it. So I am. 
why don't you fill me in and see see what it's all about? Sure. Well, coming from my background, it's no surprise that uh, the film community, the Toronto community, is a very left-leaning community, and there's nothing yep. wrong with that as long as we're talking about traditional liberal values such as free speech and you know people assimilating to our charter of rights and freedoms, legal migration, things that every liberal stood for uh, for decades. And uh, I just saw the party start to slide more and more left to a bit more of an extreme where I came from a background of the arts where I am totally against any censorship of any kind. The late, great Roger Ebert said during his show in the 90s on Siskel and Ebert that political correctness was the fascism of the 90s, and I now say the fascism of our times. The idea that you have to walk and talk and act and speak within very narrow boundaries for fear of offending somebody, mm -hmm. that's not right because what you're doing is practicing ventriloquism. You're not telling people how you actually feel on the inside. And sometimes things are controversial and sometimes things are an ugly truth, but the truth is the truth no matter what. Mm -hmm. You know, so sometimes in order to curb bad things, you need to discuss the ugly truths about certain situations so that you can learn from history. The more we try and sweep history aside, the less we're going to learn from it. It's a mistake made over and over again. And I I know that things right now, particularly on the south side of the border in the United States, can seem very volatile between conservatives and liberals. However, we've been through this before. Things were like this in the late 60s, and we got over it. Mm -hmm. I was watching, not too long ago, a making of on Magnum Force, which was the second Dirty Harry film starting, starring Clint Eastwood. Yeah. And he was talking about how, at the time, it was very fashionable for Republicans to call Democrats communists and for Democrats to call Republicans fascists. Does that sound familiar? Everybody calling everybody communists, fascists, yeah. Antifa, this sort of thing. And it made me realize, you know what, we've been through this and it's we're going to get cycle. over this. That's all it we're is. We're going to get over this. I, I, since I can't actually vote, I have no real true political, not a strong political opinion. Mm -hmm. But you can see just with anything that mm -hmm. there's always the cycle. And I... Mm -hmm. I think as a country in Canada, we'll definitely be able to get through it. And there's no, Absolutely. nothing too big or no big issue. So, Absolutely. But let's let's shy away from the states and all that type of stuff. And let's go yeah. deep into what really wanted you, what brought you into the pol uh, politics rather than... Because we know free speech mm -hmm. is something you really, really like because you like yeah. filmmaking and all that type yeah. of stuff. What, what are the other surrounding causes that pushed you towards uh, joining politics and getting into the running? Well, it was really just... I saw that the Conservative Party started to become more of a centrist party, but not in a good way. It was one of those, I saw Andrew Shear trying to appease everybody. And for me, when you try and please everybody, you stand for nothing. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe. And we've already discussed how I saw the left kind of getting away from free speech and that sort of thing, which wasn't going to work for me. And then all of a sudden, I saw this break off of the conservative party with Maxine Bernier. To me, he was the common sense candidate where he was talking about free speech, which politically speaking is a hill worth dying on yeah. because it's one of the pillars of democracy. And if we lose free speech, there's not going to be much left. Everything else will slowly start to erode as sure as night follows day. And it was other things like uh, just having good proper trade, simplifying the tax system. We want to bring it down from five brackets to two. It's going to be under 100,000, over 100,000. And that's going to be capped at 15%. So wouldn't that be great? I know you're interested in starting your own private business. Wouldn't that be great if you could make 60, 70, 80, $90,000 and only pay 15%, yeah. which is the lowest bracket unless, of course, you're making nothing. Yeah. So, 
That, that's really cool. That's, mm-hmm. And it, you're definitely extremely passionate about it. And so it, you're talking about a new branch of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure if many people know about the new branch. So what is that and who you said who started it earlier? So it's the People's Party of Canada. Maxime Bernier used to be part of the Conservative Party. And in his words, he felt that the Conservative Party was becoming corrupt. And he wanted a simpler government. He wanted less government, more money in your pocket. It, it, it's, it's really something that I was always about. It, it, to me, if you ask the Conservative Party, the NDP Party, or the Liberal Party, do you have any solutions that doesn't require more government power? You're probably going to hear crickets. Mm -hmm. What we want is less government. We want people to be able to uh, dictate the course of their own lives. We want to be able to empower people by them being able to make their own decisions, start their own businesses, pay less taxes, you know, be ambitious. I really believe in that old saying that if you give a person a fish, you only feed them for one day. If you teach them to fish, you feed them for life. Yeah, that's, that's true. And that's some big words to leave it off on. Like mm-hmm. that's just kind of, it's it more inspirational and it gets really uh, just, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's something you're definitely passionate about. And I think this is absolutely the community. Absolutely. And the last thing I would like to say too, is the PPC is the only party I see that's not going to pander by using identity politics. To me, my uh, coming from uh, my background, my, my mother uh, is an immigrant. She was not born in this country. And to me, I can't think of anything more racist than identity politics because what it's doing is it's categorizing everybody based on color and orientation. And it's sort of the antithesis of what Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of. He said his dream was to have people be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So identity politics is the exact opposite of Mm -hmm. that. And that doesn't fly with me. And it shouldn't fly with Canadians either. All right, so we were also talking about earlier about how you were the driving instructor, and you've talked to a ton of young people. A lot of young people. They're very passionate. And so how did that really, do you see a difference between people, say, millennials in my uh, my era of Gen Mm -hmm. Zs or something like that that you want to touch on? Or is there something, like, how, I'm more more curious about what what you see as the difference, Mm -hmm. because I see a big difference in, like, more cultural things where they like different types of music or TV shows or something like that. There's certainly cultural differences. I mean, I'm, I'm a millennial born in the 80s, raised in the 90s. There's certainly a difference between those millennials versus the millennials that were born in the 90s raised in the early 2000s those are sort of the ones that are pegged as being perpetually offended and very politically correct and so on and so forth and they're sort of sandwiched between the 80s born millennials and gen zers who tend to be much more pragmatic much more calm about things i love the fact that gen zers don't want to listen to what cnn or msnbc or cbc or ctv has to say they don't need a journalist regurgitating information. What Gen Zers do is they go to YouTube and they look at what happened and they say, I'm going to make up my own mind on what happened, which is really the best way to go. That's for sure. And I definitely agree with you because there's certain things that you see now where people just kind of regurgitate the same information Mm -hmm. and then it just ends up being like broken telephone. You'll hear one thing and it just completely changes from what actually happened. And you can even see that with like just high school things. Mm-hmm. You can hear, you can say one thing to another person and then you'll mm-hmm. give it and then give it a week or so, something will go back around and yeah. you'll hear, that's not at all what I said. Or that's yeah. not at all what that happened. Yeah. Or this didn't happen. That's not true. Yeah. And that just happens on such a bigger, uh, yeah. on a national scale and even a global scale. So that's, it's really crazy just to see how yeah. that, and technology is even advanced yeah. too. Absolutely. And also uh, having spent a few years uh, around, um, talk shows and news reporting in that, you know, I spent some time working at the CBC. 
uh, for a, a headlines uh, television talk show and that. And uh, what disturbs me is when I see in mainstream news when the same talking points are hit repetitively over and over and over again, especially when they're not truthful. I mean, this year was a very bad year for fake news, things like the Jesse Smollett situation, which yeah. was, you know, yes, that was not true. The uh, Nick Sandman uh, situation, which was the Covington Catholic kids uh, facing uh, off with the Native yeah. American, and th that was not as they presented it. And just situations like that, which uh, were totally phony. And, uh, uh, you know, Stormy Daniels and her lawyer and, and, and everybody saying, oh, he's going to be the one to bring down the president, et cetera, et cetera. Now we find out that he was exploiting her and stealing her money. So Yeah, there's, it's, just, yeah. It's, it's really crazy, especially if you think it on for Gen Zers to kind of grow yeah. up in this uh, yeah. area. Uh, well, this time where there's so much information like that yeah. that just gets sent to mm -hmm. our brains. Because everybody... My yeah. age has a phone. Yeah. Everybody's connected to the internet. You'll see yeah. it on Instagram, Facebook, uh -huh. Snapchat, all that stuff. You're yep. getting constantly filled with news. Yes. And you got to really, it's hard to sift through all the, the nonsense. You have to things. be your own filter. Yeah. And isolation and repetition are two of the keys to brainwashing. Think about that. Yeah. So if they're beating the drums of war over and over again, boom, 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 try, you know, trying to create, I think that the news has a big part to play in a lot of the animosity that's been created and a lot of the divisiveness that's been uh, created in the last couple of years. They certainly have their part to play. And the problem is many stations claim to be neutral when what they're actually doing, if they label, if they said this is an op-ed, I could respect that. This is an opinion piece. Mm -hmm. But when they report it as straight up facts and it's incorrect or it's biased or it's slanted, that's not right. They're not playing yeah. straight with It's not with true you. news. That makes sense. Yeah. It's it's really hard to kind of look at everything nowadays because there's so much different. There's so many different sources and there's so many different sides or something. You're never yeah. really going to find, uh, say, a party or a news channel or anything that's just straight down the center. It's telling mm. you just the facts, all that stuff. Mm. From on either side, it's just it's a pain right now because you can't yeah. really find anything that's true to what somebody's saying or you can't find the true facts because yeah. it's shifted or wanting somebody to get a new angle. Yeah. There's always two sides to every story. I remember falling in love with the policies of Jack Kennedy, J yep. John F. Kennedy. When I was in high school, I wrote a paper on him and I thought he was a magnificent president, but then I was also surprised to find out that there's the notion that only Democrats, uh, you know, have fought in favor of African Americans, which historically is not true. It was the Republicans under Abraham Lincoln that fought and spilt their blood to free the slaves. And then in the 1960s, when they had the vote uh, for the Civil Rights Movement, it was 80% of the Republican Congress that supported it and only 63% of the Democrats uh, did and then when it came to the 1994 uh, crime bill uh, that uh, Bill Clinton signed, because of that crime bill, I believe it was uh, between uh, it was uh, African Americans between 18 and 35, one in four uh, were incarcerated. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me. So the, the idea that only Democrats are out to help minorities and African Americans is simply untrue. And the point I'm getting at is, I know we're talking about American history here, but the point is. Uh, you have to challenge the status quo. You were not taught to think critically 
in school. It's, it's not, much not critical no, no. It's they they really want people to conform, and I don't want collectivism. I want rugged individuality. The West was built on rugged individuality. I don't want everybody acting, speaking, thinking the same. We don't want to be like the Borg in Star Trek. I don't want to be three of five. You know, yeah. I want to be Daniel. You want to be Carson. For sure. And what makes this country great is the fact that you can have one set of opinions that differ from mine, but if we could shake hands at the end of the day and call ourselves Canadian, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. For me, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. It doesn't matter if you're a European Canadian, an African Canadian, it doesn't matter. A Canadian is a Canadian. So when there's this divisive talk about you're racist if you're against illegal immigration and this sort of thing, no, that's not true. We're fighting for all Canadians, you know, all across the board, all ethnicities. And to me, I'd like to see us fully you know assimilate to the point where we just simply call ourselves canadians we're the one of the only countries in the world where if i say hey what are you you'll never answer canadians you'll say i'm italian or yeah. whatever you know what i mean yeah that's and, very true there's it's so many different things too that brings everybody in it's such yeah. a multicultural yeah place which and it's so yeah. great because it just allows you to see so many different yeah. things because yeah. there's not one p group of people that's better than the other. Exactly. Everybody brings something amazing to the table and exactly. that's what traveling or going to different places in Canada or even yeah. the world does for yeah. you. Yeah. Which you going to Italy yeah. and I know you're a little Italian, right? Yes. You, you go, there's just so much. The food there is great. The, the experience, the people. <laughs> there, there's so many different things and just traveling to different places, it just yeah. makes it so much better. It does. It really does. And you know, my, my mother was born in Portugal and she came with my grandparents to this country in search of a better life and they were able to... All right. You can do a clap slate, so you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were talking earlier about... Um, like so, I brought up you're talking about Italians and stuff like that, and how being able to have such a multicultural place mm -hmm. in Canada allows mm -hmm. you to see so many different things, and how you're a little Italian, mm -hmm. and you've been to Italy when you were in mm -hmm. Rome for your honeymoon, yep. and there's just so many different crazy experiences that you've had. Just be able because you can go to one place, and that's all that stuff happens. Yep. All the world is pretty much packaged in Canada. Yep. It, which is so great because every every Canadian's got their own way of doing things, right? It is. My mother was born in Portugal, and she. Uh, my grand, she came with my grandparents in search of a better life, and uh, Canada was just so amazing for them. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a private business owner, uh, and then he worked uh, for a union later on in construction. And this country has been very good uh, to my family on both sides. And uh, we need to learn that uh, the word assimilate is not a dirty word. My family on my mother's side learned to assimilate to the Canadian culture, to our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Our charter is one of the greatest documents. It really covers everything, uh, you know, from, from um, uh, religious freedom to uh, freedom of expression and that. And it's, it's, uh, it's really just, when I say a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, I, I, my dream is that we just all identify as Canadians if we're, if we're born here, that we all just adopt this great nation and we stop this divisiveness and we just accept each other as we should that we even you know drop the hyphen that we're just canadians you know what i mean that that would be the best unity of all yeah that's that that's it like, that's it if end of story if as, as long as everybody can just be canadian yeah it doesn't matter what you are or who you are whatever you still do. being able to practice your traditions yeah. uh you know your, your religious you traditions your, your family you traditions your ethnic stuff. traditions but in the end we're all canadians we all assimilate to our charter of rights and freedoms and that to me is the greatest thing of all. That to me would be the simplest, most beautiful thing. Uh, most things aren't complicated. People make things complicated. Very true.
I think, honestly, we need to end it there because that was amazing and I'll definitely need to have you back on Absolutely. once everything goes. But everybody, thank you for coming back to episode six of Carson's Conversations. This has been great with Dan. He's one of my favorite people. He really motivated <laughs> me to get one, get me on and kind of create my own conversation because we always had great conversations, stuff like that. And yeah, thanks everyone for coming by. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Definitely. See you soon.